Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. I am, as always, excited to be here with you all because this is my favorite time of the day when I get to spend it with you and my incredible guests. And I'm so excited to have my guest here with me today. This is somebody that I adore, I love, and I haven't been able to see in way too long because as y'all know, I have this ear injury, so I can no longer fly, and she hasn't been able to fly here, and she lives in the Canary Islands now, which is really exciting for her, not so exciting for all of us who want to physically be in her presence, so we have to take advantage of, for those of you who are watching live on the live stream, that you're actually going to get to see her. If you're listening to this on the podcast, I highly encourage you to also go hit my YouTube channel or any of my other social media, LinkedIn, wherever, and you can get to see the video as well of my dear friend, amazing author, amazing entrepreneur, one of those people that you want to have in your corner all the time. Veridnetta is here today, everybody. Please welcome her to the show. Hey, everybody. So great to see you, Laura. I really miss you. <laughs> it's so it's so great to, to see you here. And I realized that I didn't read all this stuff about you because like I've known you forever, right? So I was looking at your recent bio, you know, three countries um, in six decades. What was it? Israel. You um, then you lived in Amsterdam, right? Or just outside of Amsterdam. And now you're in the Canary Islands. You speak multiple languages. When you first moved, you didn't even speak the language really of where you were going. You started this amazing, amazing training company teaching entrepreneurial stuff. You've written books on financial independence for women, which by the way, everybody needs to get amazing book. And I, Hopefully you have a physical copy of your original one because I had to dispose of it due to a mold issue. And I hate the fact I lost my autographed copy, but I mean, I'll send you one. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Cause I have the Kindle versions, but it's not the same, you know? No. Um, and now you've launched into a whole nother career, Varid. Now you're screenwriting, you're writing fiction books in addition to the nonfiction books. And I love, love, love your most recent book, Things We That's Do For the Love. the physical one. <laughs> yeah, there she's got the physical one. Yeah, that's the physical and, one. And I've I'll got the Kindle one. one also. Yeah, I'll send you so you have a physical one. Thank you, thank you. Um, and of course, signed, because that's my favorite. Yes. So, I mean, you've won awards for being a difference maker. You focus on women. Part of me wants to say, how do you do it all, Merit? But I know that's not what it's about, right? I, well, so for you, what is it about this passion project, this passion that you have for life? Well, I really believe that when we're born, there is a reason for it. There is a purpose for it. And the purpose is not to waste your life. <laughs> it's to discover 
you know, how far you can go. And, and I also believe personally for me that it's about making a difference. Now, how big is the difference? It's up to you what you define a difference, you know, and, and I will never try to impose on people my views on, on, on what makes a difference, whether it's, you know, just raising children and making a difference in their lives or whether it's in your community or whether it's in your business or whether it's worldwide or global wise, you know, it, it all depends on who you are as a person and what your heart tells you to do. And, and for me, you know, I've, I've, I never started with an idea of, oh, I want to make a difference in this or in that. I just went along with life. And so what it brings, and I wanted to give as much as I can, because I always believe the more you give, the more you get. Mm. And and that was, for me, the main thing, whatever I did, because, I mean, I, I really, I, I always joke that I had probably four past lives in this lifetime. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was an archaeologist and I was uh, teaching in university and then I was working as a manager in high-tech companies in Israel and in health institutes. And then I turned to be a trainer and a personal coach. Um, and we built that company that you know about. Um, and, and now I'm like in my fourth kind of life, which is uh, as an author and a scriptwriter. And and each in, uh, one of them, my, my thing was that, okay, how do I use my talents or what I'm good at in order to create as much difference as possible, to impact as many people as possible, as much as I can? You know, um, so that's that's where my passion comes in. And do I have it every single day? Absolutely not. I mean, uh, I do have days where I'm like, oh, I just want to stay bad. You know, I don't want to change the world. And it's all about changing the world because I really think, in a way, even even today, the world is okay. <laughs> But it doesn't need us to change it. But it, it's it's what is it that I can bring into the world? That's the main thing for me. I I love that that phrase. What can I bring into this world? That it for I have goosebumps on that one, Barrett, because so often, at least for me, and I've heard this from people I coach and from my listeners. They feel like everything they have to do has to be really, really big. So it stops them from sometimes taking a small step, like holding a door open for somebody or complimenting someone's outfit. I happened to be walking into a Target store one day and this young girl was walking out with, I'm assuming her mother and her skirt was just so pretty. Right. And I don't know. I was just looking at her and something said to say, I love your skirt. And she lit up. She just massively lit up and stopped. And then her mother started smiling and she was like, oh, thank you. That means so much that you told me that. But yet too often we we think that making a difference has to be world changing versus world changing in that moment for one person. 
I, I totally agree with you. It's funny, you know, I've been a trainer for nearly 30 years. Um, I mean, I started before anybody knew what personal coaches, I mean, coach was just football coach or basketball coach. There was no what's called today life coach. Um, there was no coaching in that sense, you know, and, and I was giving trainings for, for business people about communication. And I still remember that when I started, we used to have like, it was like three day training, a communication training for business people. And um, we had to take them for two and a half days before we could start even talking to them about vision. Because for vision in those days would just, you know, um, Martin Luther King had a vision, you know, right. or Gandhi had a vision. I'm not Martin Luther King. I'm not Gandhi. So I don't have a vision. And, and, and today there isn't a company without a vision. You know, it's the ABC of things, you know, it's certain things. And, and the same thing I think today is happening with, with the sense of making a difference. Um, people think that it needs to be on a global level. And, and like you said, and because of it, who am I to do that? And they don't start. But I, I love, absolutely love the Chinese um, sent, uh, proverb that says, um, even a 1,000-mile one, journey begins with the first step. Right. And I believe that this is what we need today. We need the first step. And where it takes you, it's to the second step. And you don't know what's around the corner. So you walk a third step, you know, and that's the difference, you know. And who's to say what makes the difference? You know, I mean, especially these days, you know, I keep saying people think, oh, we need to, you know, change the world or whatever it is. I say, don't change the world, just plant a tree one tree that's all that would change the world you know you don't have where to plant a tree then grow something in a pot grow vegetables you know this tiny things that would make a difference when a billion people would do that that would make a difference and that's the way i see it it's not about those big of course big would change something and everything but if we'll wait for that it won't help. And and big doesn't happen overnight either. Big happens with yeah. small steps that yeah. build and build and build. So that, that leads me to a question I, I, I know my listeners are curious about. You've had numerous careers. Each time you made those changes, did your purpose, did your passion, did your mission sort of or vision change? Or did it sort of morph into a different version of the same underlying one? I can't recall the previous times because I told you I was nearly for 30 years a trainer. So, I mean, I know why I became a trainer because I was working then as in, in, in um, the biggest hospital in Israel as, as, as a manager. And I, I was a workaholic. I, I think I worked like 23 hours. I had a bed in the hospital staying, sleeping there. That's basically it. That's how many hours I worked. So don't remember that transition then. I was 28, 29. So I can't recall that. But I do, I do know the last one. 
because I woke up when I was in meditation one morning and I recalled that I was sitting there. I mean, it was, we, we moved to the Canary Islands. I mean, and by that time, we still used to fly back to Holland to give our trainings every six weeks. And I noticed that every time I had to go on the plane for the two weeks or three weeks in Holland to give the trainings there, I became sick and I'm never yeah. sick. And it wasn't sick, sick, that it was like my throat or my bones. At the beginning, you know, just say, oh, it's the age, you know, and, and, and things right. like that. But when it became kind of repetitive, I was sitting in my meditation and I was going, you know, looking, why is this happening to me? And then I realized that for nearly 30 years, I'm doing the same thing. I'm a trainer or a personal coach or a mentor. You know, I was also running the company and we had at that time 48 people, employees and so on. But um, I was looking at it and I was saying, you know, one of the sentences that I always tell people is you either grow or die. Every organism on this planet, they either grow or start decaying, meaning dying. And I noticed that in the last, that time, last three, four years, I wasn't growing. I was doing the same thing. So yes, maybe I was giving different trainings and maybe I was doing new trainings or, but it was the same. And, and I realized I, I maximized what I can do in that area. You know, tomorrow you'll tell me to give a training about fixing bikes. I don't know anything, but I could do that because I'm good in, in, in presentation and I'm good in being on stage and I'm good in creating a curriculum that people could follow and get excited and teach them that. So, but I wasn't being challenged. I didn't stretch myself, you know. I wasn't in a way growing in that sense. And I, I stood up from that meditation. I came to my partner and, and I said to him, it's the last year. We're going to finish this year and I'm, I'm not going, I'm going to stop being a trainer. And he goes, no, what would you do? And I said, I don't know. I don't know yet, <laughs> you know. But I knew that I, I, I had to stop it. I, I, I didn't say, okay, I'm moving to something. No, I needed to stop first before discovering what's my next step. Okay. And then I had a few months to look, okay, all right, so I'm not doing it. What, what is something that would still challenge me, that I'm interested in and that would challenge me? And I looked and I realized if there was one area in my life that I was um, could challenge me was writing. Uh, I'm dyslectic, heavily dyslectic. Um, I can't write anymore in Hebrew, which is my mother's tongue, because I, I think in English, but I'm a non-native English speaker. So my English is good for expressions, but to write it and being dyslectic <laughs> is not in it. Also, I noticed that I had so many non-supportive beliefs about writing because I was told from an early age that I'm not good in writing that I shouldn't write, that I should be more presenting things, you know. Um, so I had you, all You see the look on my face of like, <laughs> oh, my God. She's an amazing writer. I've always loved everything I've ever, even an email that you've sent, I've loved. But yet 
to the outside world, you always seem so supremely confident that you have it all together, that your writing's perfect. So to hear for my listeners that you have those doubts, oh. that's, that's huge. Thank you for sharing that. Oh my God, I have so, I mean, really it's on top of that. I had for many, many years, the belief that I'm not creative. Okay, so I worked on that because I realized with the years, with the personal development courses that I've done and I've been giving and everything right. that, that of course I'm creative, that all human beings are creative. It's, it's, it's our nature. I mean, I used to say birds fly, fish swim, human create. You know, it's, it's our nature. It's not that I'm not creative, but underneath all that, there was, yeah, but I'm not really creative in the art kind of things, you know? So writing was was a big challenge for me. And and I said, um, again, to my partner, to Jonathan, my, my partner, that, you know what, if there is one area that could challenge me, will and definitely take me out of my comfort zone, is writing. And, and not just says, writing, you went into screenwriting. Exactly. But then I said, but I can't write the whole book. I mean, the book is like 300 pages. I mean, I'm not able to do that. So, and I love movies. I am a movie buff, really. I'm, I'm hooked. If it was up to me, I would sit the whole day and watch movies, you know? So I said, but I don't get to see as many movies that I like, you know, I don't, it's really hard for me to find movies that I like that has a message that, I mean, today I know every movie has a message, but, but those that inspire me, that excites right. me, that makes me, yeah, that makes me want to, to think or, and, and gets me emotional and so on. So I said, I want to write these movies, the movies that I want to see. Um, so then I had to go and learn what is script writing, what is writing, it's a whole craft. And, and then I discovered that I chose the hardest profession ever, Yeah, ever, because when you're a writer, especially when you're a script writer, nothing is in your hands. It's not in your control whatsoever. Not only that, you are subjected constantly for feedback and feedback and feedback. And it's never going to end until you say enough. You know, that's it until, so it would have to develop your ability to receive feedbacks and choose what to take and what not to take. It, you have to take into consideration rejections. You have to take in consideration that people will take your work and, and would want, if they want, if you want to see it really published, would, would want to take a direction that you don't want it or you don't think is right. And you need to know where is the limits of what you're willing to do for it and whatnot. So it taught me so much in the process, which was much, much more than what I thought at the beginning. Because in the beginning, I only thought, okay, I need to master my my fears of um, writing or my inability to express myself as good as I express myself presenting on, on a page, you know. I mean, I still remember I have this teacher's voice in my head that says to me, um, you know, half of what you know stays in the pencil and not on the page. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, great metaphor. And so, you know, so I had to, 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 to really push myself. And even today when I have to sit and write, sometimes it's like, 
I, I have to squeeze myself in order to complete what I know that I have in my head in order to bring it into life on the page. So, and and then when I looked at, okay, what am I going to write on, or what are the topics, I, I suddenly realized that it's going to be the same things as I did when I was on stage, you know, because when I was on stage, I wanted to inspire people to go for their dreams, get people to fulfill their potential, get people to, to dare and do and 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 really experience it. Why not do it in a page, in its in a book? I might reach much more people than being on stage that way. So right. okay. So yeah, so that was the thing. I think I answered the question. <laughs> you, you did, you did. And that leads me to you know, your current book, yeah, which is a fiction book, yeah. not a screenplay, Things We Do for Love, Happy Families Are Not All Alike. And it's, in a way, when I read it, I was reading a movie, right? Because I could see the characters. I could see the settings. I could feel the emotions. I could almost hear a soundtrack in the background as I'm as I'm reading the book. And that to me means a book is an exceptional book. When you put it down and you leave the room for some reason, you come back and you expect your TV to be on or something because it's so visual in your whole being, what you wrote. Now, what made you shift from that to writing this fiction book that I know it's fiction, but you've also said that, because I know you, right? It's, there's a lot of family stuff in there. And most exceptional writers bring elements from their life or experiences they've experienced into it. And there's messaging in this book that you wanna make sure people know about. So take me from the screenwriting to writing this highly personal fictionalized book so as you said i mean when i decided to first of all thanks because just to hear that you really felt the people and you saw them and and you heard the the, the new tra music track and it, that that means a lot to me so i'm, I'm really happy to hear that um the, the story I had in my head when I decided, because I knew immediately that's the first story that I want to write. Uh, because at that time, um, my father had a stroke and me and my two sisters had to take care of him and my mother that was suffering from Alzheimer. Um, so we had to start taking care of them. And the process brought us so much together that it, I, and and my sister is were so amazing that I felt that this is a story that is so universal today. Um, I really wanted people to to hear what it's all about. So I wrote it first as a script, and then as a script, um, in order for it to be produced, you have to pitch it. Now, pitching, I know, I'm very good at pitching. So I pitched it for nearly a year and a half, endlessly. And and the, and the feedback was fantastic. They didn't, they read the script, they loved the script and everything, but 
it wasn't the right time for them. They were looking for something else. They don't have the budget. You know, all these kinds of reasons that are not in your hands. That's why I'm saying that script writing is one of those um, ungrateful professions that if you want to break into it, it's tough because nothing is really in your hands. It's not in your control, okay, okay. Um, if you want to produce it. So after a year and a half of of, of trying to pitch it and to get it somewhere. Um, and, and I improved it. I mean, I would get some feedbacks and I would improve the script, but, but basically everybody told me it's a good script. It's a good story. So then my mentor said to me, listen, why don't you turn it into a book? Because if you have a book and it sells, then you have an IP and then it, because the, the show business and the movie making is 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 a very expensive business, they're afraid to invest in something that might not be liked, you know, might not go exactly. well. It makes sense, you know. But if they have a book that is already being sold, which means there is an audience for it, you have an advantage on any other things after that. So I turned it into a book because, you see, um, the book deals with with it's a family saga but for me the main thing that was really important was um to help those people that were like in my position of taking care of of elderly parents uh, and especially with alzheimer and dementia um, i mean dementia and alzheimer are a devastating disease and, and 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 they can break families and and you know it, it it's really tough to see a loved one or even somebody that you don't want but to see them going through it however from the process at least that we went through i discovered that um if you look at it a bit differently it could create such an incredible tight bonding in the real in the families that it's worthwhile focusing on that than on the devastation of the of the disease because i mean the disease strips the person of their personality and the memories and they slowly or sometimes quickly go into this black hole where they're just a shell of who they were once i mean i can see my mother i mean We've been taking care of her now nearly for 15 years. I mean, she she doesn't speak nowadays. She she can move a bit, but mostly she's in a wheelchair and everything. So she, and she used to be a powerhouse, you know, and and she was huge in talking. And she doesn't speak today. And but what happens is that it strips it from the personality, and then what's left is the essence of a human being. And that essence is so pure and so beautiful that it's impossible not to love and not to fall in love with that person. And especially when relationships are not good, when you're willing to look at it, it, it just shows you that it's the personality that maybe stood in your way of your love flowing to that person. And when that is taken away, it's a joy to see it. It's so beautiful. It's so fragile. It's so vulnerable. It's so incredibly beautiful that it's it's great, you know. Yeah. So as long as you're able to shift 
the way you're looking and reacting to the person. Exactly. Too often you focus on, I've lost that person or I don't want to take care of this person because I had a horrible relationship with them. And now why should I have to take care of them? Because they were not nice to me, but now their personalities changed or this was always a really sweet person. And now all they do is scream and yell. And there's, you know, so many different dynamics that happen with Alzheimer and dementia patients and families that the way you just described it, it says, okay, maybe the person who's now the caregiver needs to let go, which isn't always easy. Very. No. Listen, letting go is never easy, yeah. <laughs> especially for us control freaks people. Yes, yes, I, I, I will relate to that. <laughs> two hands and two flags up here, you know. It's, it's just that sometimes I think that's the lesson that life wants to teach you. Um, and I totally agree with you, you know, uh, first of all, Alzheimer and dementia have all different stages in it. It's not one thing. It has different stages in it. Um, there is the stage where the person is screaming and suspicious and, and, and paranoid and, and, and it's tough to be then with that person. Um, so I, I totally agree with that, but that's the reason why I wanted to write that book. It's to, if I could reach those people, and today we know that there are about, I think, 53 million people suffering from dementia and, and Alzheimer in the world, but multiplied by their caregivers. It's a huge right. amount of people. And if I could reach even 10% of them, and just to give them this concept or idea that could make their life easier, then I felt that I fulfilled my purpose for this book, you know? Um, I mean, the story is about three sisters that they all have a kind of a strange relationship with each other. Uh, when one of them decides at the late age of 45 to get pregnant, suddenly the father gets the stroke and the mother has Alzheimer and she's left to take care of them, although she hates her mother and her mother was the reason. Now, it has nothing to do with my relationship with my sisters or my family <laughs> whatsoever. All right, everybody got fiction. that. So if, if your sisters in your family hear that, there is fiction in no this book fiction, for dramatic you know? purpose. But, but the point is that the reason I added it was because I wanted to speak about also motherhood and what is being a mother and and how does motherhood come and, 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 and how challenging motherhood can be and the concepts that we have about motherhood and what we see. So I've put in a lot of issues into the book together with the Alzheimer because I think that the Alzheimer is, is a... Is a um, kind of a trigger to put on on all type of relationships in a family and bring it up into the light in order for you to find a way to solve it to, to find your way into it to come into closure and to forgiveness because that's actually the topic of this book about forgiveness and um 
and and that's i think is very hard for people just as you said letting go people think oh i forgive him i forgive him but forgiveness is not something that you do it's something that comes up after things were said after you cleared up the stuff after you cleared up the issues after you came into closure with yourself then forgiveness can come up it's not a thing that we do and that's why it's so hard because people try to work hard on forgiveness but there's nothing to work on <laughs> the only thing they have to do is to clear up the stuff you know it's <laughs> to let go so it's, uh... one of the themes that I felt was an underlying one throughout the book because you just talked about forgiveness is forgiving yourself as well as forgiving others for something. Is that something that for you is easy to do, not easy to do? Do you feel it's important for you? I know for me, my uh, I have one of my friends who's constantly like, Laura, you just have to forgive yourself. Just let it go. <laughs> You're so hard on yourself. And forgive yourself that you couldn't do everything you thought you should do. So I'm curious your perspective on that, because I noticed that, whether it was on purpose or not, as an undercurrent through the book. I think one of the reasons I didn't tackle the issue of forgiving yourself directly in the book is because I know how hard it is. Um, in, especially for women my age, our age, you know, in our 60s, we grew up thinking that we need to be super women. And if not super woman, then, you know, you can do everything. You know, we grew up on you can do everything, which meant underline you should do everything. You should be everything. You and know? do it you, perfectly. And of course, oh, wait, wait, wait. Of course you need With to grace. Perfect. With and feminism. Grace and, and not, but, you know, I, I, I just saw Barbie, the movie, and I think the best part is the, the monologue of America Ferreira, where she says to Barbie, it's so hard to be a woman. It's so contradicting to be a woman. You have to be this and that and this and that, but you shouldn't be. The... It's a fantastic monologue. And, and I think that we all, uh, it, we grew up thinking that we should do all that. And then we hard on ourselves when we don't do that. And then we are even hard on ourselves because we are not able to let go. And then we are hard on ourselves, but we don't forgive ourselves. And we should forgive ourselves, but we don't forgive ourselves. We should <laughs> hard on ourselves. And it's exhausting, isn't it? Exhausting. <laughs> so I think, I mean, I keep hearing this sentence that a teacher of mine used to say. I mean, he's long, long gone, moved on already in 2001. Um, he was one of the first ones in the personal development movement. You know, he was part of Abraham Maslow, first group of, of human potential, you know, this kind of a pioneer thing. Right. And he said, what we don't realize as human beings is we're just in the oven. We're still in the oven, meaning we're not yet done. <laughs> It's true, we're still baking. It was still baking. <laughs> the cake is not ready yet. So that's what I feel about 
you know, when, when I start being hard on myself and I need to forgive myself, but I don't always forgive myself and everything, and I still remind, remind myself, okay, it's a work in progress. You know, so one day I'm relaxed with it, the other I'm hard on it. It's okay, it's one day more than it was before, you know. Um, I, I just think that we complicate our life because we tend to complicate it because it makes us feel capable or important. Mm. And when you get to a certain age, you realize that it's not about being important or smart or, or you know, achieving so many things. It's about enjoying life. And when you focus on that, what makes me happy? What makes me joyful? What Then it doesn't have to be perfect anymore. And then you can let go of, of being hard on yourself. And, and, and I guess that's when forgiveness comes and then also forgiving yourself. Forgiving yourself for not being perfect, forgiving yourself for not doing everything right, for, for being mean, for being cruel, for being sometimes egoistic or selfish or whatever it is, you know. So it's, uh, are there some, or even stupid? <laughs> oh, I, I had one of those the other day. Definitely had one of those the other day. Are there some questions that have been a theme throughout your life that seem to help you when you're making changes or when you're feeling stuck or when you feel that fear is all consuming or that you're just not sure what a next step is? Are there some questions that you found are themes through your life that help you? It's funny that you say that. I mean, I'm a more physical person, meaning I feel more, I'm, I'm a very kinesthetic person. So okay. I, it's just, I feel something I need to do in my body and then it, I move and then I say, okay, why did I do this? What, what, what was it? What's the purpose? So my process is a bit different. It's not that I first think of a question and then I move towards it. I first move with something, something pushes me inside of me. But in 2017, that's, that's when I started writing this book, um, or the script, let's put it this way, my father passed away. And since then, I think there is a question that I, when I'm at a crossroad or when I'm doubting things I ask, we call it WWDD, which is what would dad do? Um, he was an amazing man. I mean, we didn't share always the same worldview whatsoever, but he was from the old generation, and and I think their values were right. They they had, they were disciplined. They had values that were 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 good values. I think about community, about families, about what's right and wrong. And again, I, I wouldn't, I mean, my father was as far as possible. He was an historian and he was as far as possible from spiritual stuff or personal development. But I asked myself, what would dad do? And and not that I would follow exactly, but that kind of thought 
of, of another option to, to what I see, you know? Um, the other question that I sometimes ask myself is, would that bring pleasure to me? Uh -huh. Would this bring pleasure to me? Um, and not pleasure, yet, you know, it's just, would it make me happy? You know, and and especially today where, you know, my daughter is all grown up, we don't have the companies, uh, and, 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 and it's basically me, myself, and I, of course, I have a partner and everything, but, but it's, is that something that would bring joy into my, I think the word is more joy than I'm looking for. Would it bring joy into my life? And that's, for me, a question that leads me into a lot of, different direction of decisions that I take. Um, would it bring joy? Too often we make choices that don't bring us joy at some point in time. And, and that's not saying that everything we do has to bring us joy because sometimes, you know, you just have to do certain things to get them done. Uh, but you can pay a bill that's overdue and still say, well, this brings me joy because it means my power will still, my power will come on. And that now today I have money in my account to actually pay that bill. So it's a, it's a, I think it's a mindset shift of what does joy mean to you? Almost? Exactly. I, I think, you know, I wrote happy families are not all alike because, it, you know, it's 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 a paraphrase of Tolstoy, you know, Tolstoy, the first sentence of Anna Karenina, he writes, all happy families are alike, all tragic families, each one is different in its own way. And I always thought that makes sounds happy families as boring families, and it's not true, you know, and all all happy families are not alike because each one has a di different definition of what is happiness. Um, and the same thing is with joy. It's how you define joy. How do you find happiness? And for me, happiness or joy was never walking down the street with this big smile on your face. It doesn't have to be, you know. But it's exactly as you said. It's sometimes you find the joy in digging shit. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I still remember my mom. I was always an optimistic person, always optimistic. And my mom, my mom was a very criticizing person, very judgmental person. I mean, nothing we did was right. You know, I, I, I would come back from, with an. I got on my exam ninety nine, and she would say, "And what happened to the last point? Where did you lose it?" That would be the first sentence, you know. So very judgmental and everything. But she used to appreciate the fact that I was so optimistic, and she said, "You're just like that person in the in the uh, digging shit." And people are saying, "What are you doing there?" And he says, "There must be a pony down there." Uh -huh. You know, <laughs> that's great. You know, so I I really think that that. In that sense, it's it's if you look at things and and even if it's hard, even if it's tough, and but you look at okay, how does it make me a bigger person? You find a joy in that. Mm. I love you know? that. It's and that's what joy for me is. It's it's that you live a life which is meaningful, that that has a purpose, that that you are aware of what you're doing, that you are aware of yourself, of the people around you, of nature, whatever it is. I mean, 
I find joy today just simply sitting outside and, and playing with my dog. That's joy, you know, or, or walking up the mountain. That's a joy. And sometimes I can hardly breathe and it's tough and my muscles and my knees are, are cracking up. But it's a joy because I stretch myself. And that's for me, joy. That's, that's the main thing. I love that. Now, taking that idea of finding joy in something, going back to something you said earlier about you were trying to write this script, you pitched it, it ended up becoming this book, um, Things We Do for Love. That setback of this script is not going anywhere, nobody's doing it, can set somebody back to the point where they can't even move forward. So they're just saying to themselves, forget this, it's never gonna work, I'm a failure, I'm no good at anything, so just forget it. And then they go take a job at McDonald's or they don't do anything and they go into a depression. How did you move your mindset from this setback? Because we're not gonna say a failure, it was a setback it morphed into something different than what you originally envisioned, but somehow you went with how you were being guided. Okay, there, the doors keep closing on this, where's the window somewhere that will allow me to get the story out. So how did you find some piece of joy that enabled you going back to even where we first started the conversation to take that one step? to make a difference. So here's the thing. When I hold this book in my hand, where is it? Here it is. When I hold it in my hand, I've got this mirror thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't do the mirror thing though, then the words on your book are backwards. I, and I know, I know, <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying, but I... <laughs> You'll get used that, to it. I'll get to you. It's exactly the answer to your question, okay? So mm -hmm. when I hold it, I really feel this is my baby. Because remember, when I started, I wanted to write, and I said I couldn't write a whole book. That's why I thought script is easier. You know, later on I discovered the script writing is much, much harder than writing a novel. Because in script writing, you have to think all the time visual. It's all the time in the present. It's you need to limit everything. Yeah, there are you cannot write thoughts, you cannot write feelings. All these needs to be translated in something of action, of doing. It's the hardest type of writing there is. Okay. Okay. But this is that's that's my curve of learning that today I'm able to see that. You know, that I jumped into the deep end of the pool of something that I thought I never knew because ignorance is a bliss and I didn't know that I'm going to jump into something that is harder than writing a book, okay? okay. Um, so I think that for me, one of the biggest um, kind of, of energizer, every time I, I would get a rejection and a no and another rejection, and it's also money because of those pitches you have to pay so you don't pay a lot but when you have 20 30 40 50 of them it adds up yes it adds up and you get a rejection after rejection after rejection then you know i 
it, it builds up at a certain point. But then what I, I realized was that, hey, you jumped into the deep end when you didn't even know how to swim and you swam. So obviously you have a talent for it. Um, not only that, I think one of the most important thing that in any change that you take in any place that you, you're doing something new that you haven't done before is find a community that would support you. Create a support group for yourself. And I found an incredible support group online. I mean, uh, I found a fantastic mentor and a coach, became a friend of mine. Um, I found a community that is supportive. And, 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 and really, I was in that sense, I was lucky because I somehow fell upon a community, a group that is only about positivity. They won't tear you down. While I saw other groups of writers and, and script writers where they tearing each other, it's horrendous how they tear each other. While this group is all about supporting and, and encouraging. I mean, we have this, it's called uh, Monday Mini Win, which where people can post. I mean, and it's, it's, it's really, and that's why it's called Mini Win. It's not about I won the Oscar or somebody uh, commissioned my play or my, my script or I have a publication, whatever it is. It's just a mini win. You know, I spoke with a producer or somebody was interested, you know, these tiny things, those small steps, because when you cheer up the small steps, the person will reach the finish line. Ah. And, and for me, I think that was one of another big, big lesson that I learned is find a community that would support you, build a support system for yourself to do it because it's a hard work writing, you know, um, we have this, you know, ideas of writers, you know, Stephen King, J.K. Rowling's or whatever it is, you know, that um, it's Stephen King on the other end, you know, he, he actually says it's it's a work. It's it, I treat it as a day job. I get up at nine o'clock. I'm in my office and at five o'clock I stop writing. That's not the way I work. <laughs> I cannot sit from nine to five and work and write. No way. I'm not able to do that. You know. I but he, he also says you need to find your way of writing. Exactly. So it's it's about you know finding a balance where it would fit you. You know, I do it in bursts. You know, not only that, I'm a very, I'm what's called a plotter. I first have to have the plot all built up, you know, all the blueprint of the book or the script or every, the whole structure bit by bit what it's going to be. And only then I can sit and write and everything. So I, I'm a more structural thing. I mean, I, again, maybe the day that I would let go finally of my non-supported belief that I'm, 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 I'm not creative, maybe I could just be a, you know, pantser do it panting by their seat, you know, but I'm, I'm not able to do that. I need really first to have it, everything cleared up. And, and there think, is nothing wrong with that, Barrett. Okay? No, no, it's Just not. I actually, actually today, that. I know, I think that the more you have your plot clear and the structure clear, the better the story will be. I, I think the only reason that this book or this script was, was, as you said, that it's so clear for people and they can feel it is because 
I worked with my 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 coach and mentor on the plot of it and made it as 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 clear as possible and and allowed it to show up through it, you know, and made it clear what's my concept, what's my idea, who are, who are the characters, who is the main, you know, all that kind of stuff that goes into writing that you need to have it clear before before you sit and write. Now, back to the question, what made me keep on looking for more is that I, I remembered why I was going into it. My purpose was I wanted to stretch myself. I wanted to learn. I wanted to grow. And each rejection and each no that I got, I was saying to myself, every no you get gets you closer to a yes. And and because it's a number thing. And, and the fact that I'm unknown and nobody knows me and I'm not in Hollywood or in London or whatever it is just makes things even harder. But one after a year and a half, and I said, I, I want some kind of a relief for it. And that's why I said, when my mentor suggested write a book and she gave me the reason behind it, it sounded logical for me. And I said, okay, let's try it that way also, you know? So it's, it's an ongoing thing where the main thing is, what was my purpose? What's my purpose for doing it? And I think it's also a question, if, it's it's a question that I ask myself when you ask me what what are, what are the questions that you have. For me, what's the purpose of it is a very important question that I have to myself for things that I do. I love what's that. the purpose? Why? Why are you doing it? What's the purpose for it? Bring it all back to that. Yeah. Adding in, does it bring me joy? Yeah. Some form of joy might not be the typical thing of joy. And what would your dad do? Those are yeah. really great things. I mean, you know, the name of my book is What Would a Wise Woman Do? Because that always helps me go, I don't know all the answers. I don't even know all the questions. So let me just throw it out there to somebody with a different perspective and wiser than I might yeah. be in that situation. I love that. So let's tell people how they can get a copy of your book how they can follow you because I know you have uh, another book coming out in a, in December of 20 yeah, for Christmas. Yeah. December 21st, my next book is coming, but this book you can get both on Amazon. It's called things we do for love. Where is it here? Things we do for love by Veredneta. Please remember Veredneta because there is a title which is close by, by ha Kristen Hanna, something like that. But this is, Things We Do for Love by Veredneta. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Kobo if you have Kobo. You can get it even in Barnes & Noble if you have one of those still existing. So you can get it. But also, if you go to my website, veredneta.com slash get hyphen my hyphen book hyphen and hyphen more, You'll get you can I can I will send you if you register there I will send you also two short stories of mine that would be coming out in an anthology of short stories about families next year so you get them a sneak peek to them so you get them and you can buy the book on Amazon of course so yeah that's how you can follow me you join then my mailing list I'll keep you updated my next book is coming on the twenty first of December and it's about something totally different it's called full circle and actually I started writing it in 
during the first lockdown or no, not the lockdown. Yeah, I started writing it the first lockdown as a, um, and it, again, it started as a script as a result of, of and then it was um, a Black Life Matters. And I wanted the story about freedom and fights and rights and so on. And after many changes, and especially after the war between Russia and Ukraine started, I realized that my main story is going to take place in 1968 in Prague, when Czechoslovakia was um, invaded by the Russians, again, because they wanted freedom and they wanted to make their own democracy in the way they wanted to live their life, and Russia invaded them. So this story is about uh, a young medical student that was uh, her biggest dream was to become a doctor. And when the demonstration started, she became active. And during the invasion, accidentally, she killed a soldier. And okay, then she had, don't, don't share anymore. They, they need to, she, yeah, she they had to, need run to get away. that book when it comes out. So, in exactly. So she had to run away. And so it's, it's, it's the main question there is what is more important, fighting for your ideals or staying alive? Or it's always a good question, right? That we all need yeah. to think about. Exactly. What is my and for me today, it's even more crucial because what is happening today in Israel is that really for nearly 39 weeks now, people every Saturday go out into the streets to fight for democracy because um, the government is trying to turn it into a dictatorship. And and things are tough and it's so i think it's it's a question that is a good question today for everybody uh on on what is freedom what are ideals and what is more important so yeah so that's the story yeah and even your your book that we've talked a lot about today things we do for love is about freedom in its own way because people who have alzheimer's have they get freedom in a completely different way. Their past is gone and they're in a different way, place where they don't, aren't necessarily free, but I encourage everybody to, to get your book, Varied, anywhere books are sold and to sign up on your list. And for those that are listening on podcast or are watching online, I will be posting the link so you don't have to worry if you didn't write it down or you're concerned about spelling. It's going to be the link will be there for you to click off of to get over to Varied's site or to pick up a copy of the book. So uh, I will make sure that happens, Varied, because your book is really good and I think it's important out there. And it's just a wonderful, incredible story. So I hope what happens for you is what happened to um, the book The Martian and even Fifty Shades of Grey and so many other books that got self-published that all of a sudden became massive sellers and got picked up and became incredible movies although 50 shades of gray movie not so great but the martian with matt damon unbelievable movie unbelievable. so i hope that happens for you with this book. i hope so too i really have and again thank you so much laura i always love talking to you i think i think your questions are so deep and they reach really to the heart of issues um my wish is really that this book things we do for love 
Um, and I'll hold it up to make it easier for you. <laughs> the things we'll do for love. You really got it. We'll reach, yeah, we'll reach the hands of those people that are having to deal with outside, with with taking care of Alzheimer people, and bring them some light and some comfort into their challenging lives. I really hope to bring some peace and tranquility to them with that message. I love that. Thank you so much for being here with Thank me today. You. I'm Thank so grateful you. and Thank I love you, your darling. book. Thank you, darling. <laughs> so everybody, today was a story about moving forward, setbacks, love, passion, finding ways through your fear or the stories you tell yourselves. I would love to know what came up for you. Post on social media, send me an email, laura at laurasteward.com. Let me know, let Varid know what you think about what she had to say today. Because at the end of the day, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.